Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. And yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. We have a, I think, a really intriguing, fun, hopefully hilarious show today. Um, although I think we're going to look, look, look beneath the covers of the hilarity. Uh, but we have a really special guest that is waking, waiting in the wings. He's a hot comedy scene star. Ian Lockwood is in the house. Um, Ian hails from the uh, Brooklyn's alt comedy scene. And uh, so his humor is not your run-of-the-mill, two-dimensional, lighthearted, ha-ha humor. Um, he is about pushing boundaries and um, has come up with a couple of really creative works, uh, one of which just got released as an EP. Um, the title of the EP is not like other girls, and he is not like other comedians. So, um, you know, fasten your seatbelts. It, it is going to be a very intriguing, entertaining ride. Uh, his work is uh, songs and pop songs. They are very catchy. I mean, it is really great listening music. And as you listen to it, you're kind of bopping along, and then all of a sudden you're, what, huh, what, what, what was that? Um, and uh, because the characters that are the subject of each of these scenes uh, or each of these songs pushes boundaries. And um, that's, that's all I'm going to say about it up front. But, um, and we will be playing one of the songs, the title song of the EP, Not Like Other Girls, during the show, so you can hear exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but before we get to Ian, um, I do want to bring on my illustrious uh, co-host, Brody Levesque. Brody is the editor-in-chief of the L.A. Blade magazine, and uh, uh, he's probably got some news for us. And by the way, happy Spirit Day, Brody. Happy Spirit Day, Rob, and happy Spirit Day uh, out across the United States. Uh, to all of you, and I want to give a special shout-out uh, to um, my fellow Canadian, Brittany McClellan. Brittany was the founder of Spirit Day. It was her idea. Uh, she put it together. It was later picked up, of course, by media advocacy group GLAD. But uh, Brittany, uh, Brittany was the one that put it all together, and uh, <clears throat> i got to tell you, it's been one of the more effective campaigns against bullying uh, that I've seen uh, where people remember. Um, speaking right. of and bullying. Brody, well, actually, before yeah. we, we move on to speaking of bullying, can you explain for those who don't know what Spirit Day is um, exactly what happens today? Well, um, a decade and a year ago, there was a pandemic across both the United States and Canada of LGBTQ plus adolescents who were killing themselves. Uh, nearly every week saw another lesbian, gay, trans, queer young person die, uh, and in all cases, bullying very much factored in. In one high-profile case, the anti-LGBTQ bullying escalated in a university dorm room 
where one roommate secretly live-streamed his closeted gay roommate having intimate sexual relations uh, with another guy. That closeted roommate was 18-year-old Rutgers University freshman Tyler Clemente, who in his despair drove to the middle of the George Washington Bridge, which connects New Jersey and New York's Manhattan Island, where he parked and left to his death into the Hudson River below on September 22nd of 2010. Brittany uh, up in Canada saw all these news stories and saw all this coverage and realized that she needed to wear, uh, you know, raise awareness of, uh, you know, bullying against the LGBTQ kids and to get everybody to find one day where they could signify it. Um, And so what they did was they designated the 3rd October, the 3rd Thursday of October, losing my English speaking skills here, um, and the reason October was picked is because it's LGBT History Month, and they uh, uh, designated purple as the color to wear. And so uh, it is um, to raise a heightened sense of awareness to the ongoing bullying that occurs and to try to get people to have conversations to stop bullying. Um, I, again, here we are 11 years later, and we still have problems with uh, bullying in an extreme, especially against um, our trans brothers and siblings. So Spirit Day is a really important day where you wear purple. It doesn't matter if it's a shirt, a tie, a ribbon. doesn't matter as long as you have a little bit of purple on you. And it's to signify and demonstrate your awareness of the campaign to push back against bullying of LGBTQ plus kids and well, adults for that matter. But it's, it's primarily aimed at the young because they disproportionately have been impacted in many ways. And of course, you know, hurt kids turns into hurt adults. Um, and there's other, you know, things that go with all of that. So that's the whole point of spirit thing. And again, props to Brittany, um, who's now 26 years old, and, uh, yeah, congratulations, Brittany. Your idea really took off. Great. And what else is going on in the news, Brody? Well, let's talk about bullying. On the front page of the Los Angeles Blade, ah, headline, transgender garbage could lead to enemies taking over the United States. And that rather lovely piece, of diatribe came from the head of right-wing conservative student group Turning Point USA and from the lips of Charlie Kurt, the 28-year-old sycophatic follower, fan of President, former, uh, President, former President Donald Trump, who attacked the trans and drag communities on his YouTube podcast. Uh, earlier today, as a matter of fact, he went after uh, a high school in Vermont that had had a drag show over the, this last weekend for homecoming, which was put on with the help and assistance of not only the student uh, GSA, but also the administrators and even the athletic director. Uh, Charlie apparently took umbrage at that, so off he went. Um, you know, and again, because we are marking Spirit Day, uh, we had an incident occur in September, although it just came to light in the last week or so in the town of Paso Robles, California, which is on California's central coast. Um, two students 
rip down a pride flag from uh, a classroom, and it was an affirming classroom. It was an LGBT safe space. Uh, and they put it on TikTok, and, and they, they videotaped themselves trying to burn it. And when that didn't work, they put it in the toilet, and they defecated on it. And, of course, that TikTok went viral. The school um, said, quote, quotation marks, air quotes, whatever, that they disciplined the students. But then the superintendent of the school district sent out a memorandum ordering all faculty at all schools to pull down any type of flags that were considered politicized, such as Black Lives Matter flags, things like that, and pride flags. Now, the pride flags, of course, were oftentimes used to designate LGBT affirmation and support in a safe space in these schools. The superintendent says, no, the only thing I want to see up are American flags. So that has turned into a thing. So now people are saying, well, wait, you know, you're saying that you're disappointing, but instead of being affirming to the students like you claim you are, blah, 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 blah. So basically now the school district is finding itself uh, in hot water. My good friend, uh, author James Finn, uh, has a column that will be going up today. Uh, that you were all invited to go to Los Angeles, play and read. And uh, Jim talks about this very incident. Um, you know, to be honest with you, Rob, at the end of the day, um, and I should say for our listeners, the central coast of California is this little speck of red in between two blue. Um, you know, all kidding aside, it's a conservative part of the state. And it's got a lot of Trump supporters. It's where the House Republican minority leader Kevin McCarthy is from. He represents an area in that part of California. So, I mean, homophobia and transphobia coming out of that part part of California is not that big of a shock. But the thing of it is, it speaks to the larger issue, uh, which is, again, we're talking about spirit day today, that people need to pay attention to. And that is that the anti-LGBTQ animus, you know, still very much exists, still needs to be addressed. You know, and when we think, you know, when we in, in the era of social media where we see things like this and this TikTok video of kids crapping on a pride flag in a toilet going viral, that is the type of thing that we need to address, uh, you know, not only just as a society, but I think that we also need to address it uh, as responsible adults and as responsible members, you know, of the various places around the globe that we've got to do something about this so you know as, as my friend judy shepherd right. is always yeah. saying erase hate you know so that's basically the two biggie things going on um and then i want to give a shout out one last thing i want to give a shout out to the capital city of north carolina raleigh um raleigh this week passed a non-discrimination lgbtq ordinance Raleigh is now the 15th uh, city in North Carolina, which has passed an ordinance uh, to stop, you know, discriminate, discrimination in the state based on sexual orientation, gender identity, natural hairstyles, or other characteristics in employment and public accommodations. There was a recent poll, uh, which Equality North Carolina uh, put out there. 67% of people in North Carolina are now supporting protecting LGBTQ people from discrimination. Uh, and, and this is really, I think, kind of important uh, that we're seeing this sort of thing, and especially uh, in places like Raleigh. So hats off and a big shout-out 
to the city council of the city of Raleigh, North Carolina, as well as to the county commissioners of Wake County, uh, which is where Raleigh sits, because they passed uh, the ordinance the day before, and then Raleigh signed on to it, because uh, that's how it works in North Carolina. So shout out to Wake County, and shout out to the city of Raleigh. Excellent. Yeah. So good news from North Carolina. Um, and I do hope they have more deep dialogues in Paso Robles um, regarding the LGBTQ safe spaces. Um, obviously, that there needs to be further education um, and awareness made. I mean, it's the flag issue is one thing, but it's really that deeper mindset um, that is is the one that, that people need to be talking about um, in that area. Um, also, I want to give a shout-out to Karen Oakham, who you're featuring on the cover of the L.A. Blade, who just won, won a major award for journalism in Los Angeles. Uh, Karen's been a contributor on to this podcast, and congratulations, Karen. I've known her for many years, as obviously, Brody, you have too. Um, uh-huh. So that's a very cool thing as well. Journalist of the Year. Thank you, L.A. Press Club. And, yeah, definitely. That's off Karen. Way to go. Yeah. So let's move on to our special guest today. Um, uh, Ian, uh, as I said, is um, a talent that has come out of Brooklyn's alt comedy scene. Um, We're going to ask him a little bit more about that. Um, His new uh, EP is been talked about as, quote, an infectious and uproarious record that scratches pop and comedy itches at the same time. I totally see what they're saying there. Um, his previous EP was described as a tantalizing display of talent. And so with that, I want to welcome to the show uh, Ian. Ian, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thrilled, thrilled to have you. So, Ian, tell us what uh, what is the Brooklyn alt comedy scene like? What is that environment? Oh, let me tell you all about it. It is because it is wild, and it is even more wild than I thought it, it was, <laughs> honestly. Um, <laughs> by the way, first of all, I just wanted to say happy Spirit Day. Um, incredible day. Thank you. Uh, and you that, too. <laughs> uh, and it's great to be talking to you both on Spirit Day. Um, the Brooklyn alt comedy scene is sort of a wild, nasty, disgusting, uh, beautiful place that I have been so blessed to uh, to come up in and uh, meet a lot of incredible mentors in. Uh, it is, I would say, distinct in how experimental it is compared to a lot of uh, other comedy scenes. I'm sure when you picture uh, comedy uh, up-and-comers, like you might see on, on a show like Crashing on HBO or, or uh, Back in Time, Miss Maisel, or, uh, you know, just, just any piece of media you can think of with, say, stand-up. You're, you're thinking of people doing type fives on, uh, on a comedy stage in front of a brick wall for a nice, calm audience. Uh, the <laughs> Brooklyn alt-comedy scene is a lot of fun, and it is a mixture of all forms of comedy, uh, and it can really be boundary pushing. I've done shows uh, where the entire goal was to absolutely make a mess and destroy a backyard. Um, <laughs> I've done shows uh, where people make out vigorously on stage with each other. 
I've done shows where uh, uh, people, you know, go as sort of uh, kind of go intense, maybe borderline offensive with what they say, but in the uh, pursuit of trying to find new interesting things to say. Uh, and so it can get kind of wild. Um, one show that I did with a friend of mine named Sophie Zucker uh, was a show called Baby Ian Falls Down a Well, based on, uh, of course, <laughs> Baby Jessica, um, who, by the way, Baby Jessica is doing amazing. Uh, she's married. She has kids. Uh, and I did a lot of research on Baby Jessica. Uh, uh, <laughs> It was uh, sort of casting me as, a, as an infantile gay character, a, a character, you know, playing very much into that twink stereotype, very insecure. Um, but it takes place inside of a well, and we used a, a, a feature of the theater, The Annoyance New York, um, that was the stairwell. We decided to do the majority of the show in the stairwell as sort of the slope up to the top of the well that we could not escape from. And... I'll, I'll just say, that stairwell was right underneath the trash cans um, oh, that, uh, oh, that were above a door down. They usually didn't smell great, and it was quite dirty. Um, they were stone stairs. You couldn't quite clean them. But if it rained during the show or just before, um, a sort of uh, trash film that existed above oh, would turn liquid and come down the stairs. So I truly did this show in trash water, but it was one of the best oh shows I've ever done. I loved it. <laughs> God, God, play the hand. <laughs> That's wild. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. So one thing that I found with your work, um, and, you know, it's like I, it's always weird talking to the artists about how their work impacted me because I'm usually at risk of having them go, Boy, you're an idiot. That's not that's not what I intended <laughs> at all. But I, I take that risk anyway. Um, but the one thing I found fascinating was is that it's there. Each song is very funny, but it's also shocking, which I thought was kind of artistic mm-hmm. because I look to artists to throw us off our comfort zones. Um, but then I was like sort of fascinated by it by if I sat back and thought of each song as a character. And it became then really fascinating of trying to unpack the the character, sort of like in a traditional sense, like the Archie Bunker or the, um, you know, uh, Al Bundy or, you know, different mm-hmm. character or the Roseanne character where, you know, it's like you don't take them at face value and you don't take them as speaking for every person, but you, you suddenly are seeing a really three-dimensional being and kind of taking humor in their own personal foibles. Um, is that the intent, or am I reading too much into it? I, think that, I don't think you're reading too much into it. I would definitely agree with that. I would say that each of these characters, yes, it does come from a different point of view, each song, so it's definitely a distinct character. And each one is either confidently incorrect or straight to you or um, – uh, denying how nasty and evil their impulses are. Uh, I really do like to do that. I like to have characters who say one thing and either do or believe another. It's it's maybe a shortcut, but it's one of my favorite things to do. No, that's awesome. Yeah, and that, that comes through. So um, I do want to play one right now, and I'm going to play it in its entirety. Um, this is the title track 
off your new EP, Not Like Other Girls, coincidentally called Not Like Other Girls. And uh, here we go. So you want a blonde bimbo? Well, I have bad news. Cause I'm not like other girls with golden curls And I'm not confused Yeah, you want a hard baby Hairless and new Well, I'm full grown Even though I do love baby food I'm different Other girls like Instagram But I read books Other girls like holding hands But I have hooks I'm so weird and different And they're all the same Other girls don't like spaghetti I'm not like other girls I'm so different I'm quirky, I'm random Banana, jacuzzi Other girls don't like me Cause I'm too cute and sexy I'm not like other girls And I'm very low maintenance and chill Other girls like sending texts But I send mail other girls are prim and proper I'm in jail I'm so weird and different And they're all the same I don't like Mondays Other girls don't like lasagna I'm not like other girls I'm so different I'm quirky I'm random Toledo Bobby Other girls don't like me Cause I'm too cute and sexy I'm not and my uncle works at Nintendo. Other girls like pumpkin spice. I like my latte rancid. Other girls like pop music. I don't know what that is. I've been around the world, Perry, LA. I'm the only girl who's been up on a plane. And I bet you didn't know I was British, bruv. I'm the only girl who is British. I'm not like other girls. I'm so different. I'm quirky. I'm random, Hillary, Benghazi Other girls don't like me Cause I'm so cute and sexy I'm not like other girls In that I'm so much worse, yeah I'm not like the other girls Like other girls, like other girls I'm not like the other girls Like other girls I'm not like the other girls Like other girls, like other girls I I have to say, every time I hear that, it gets funnier and funnier. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it, it's like it's like the 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 different pieces of it catch me. Like when she's going, um, you know, I, I I'm not like other girls because I'm British and other girls aren't British. <laughs> They're going, um, <laughs> they are. <laughs> like, what? This, this character is fully grasping at straw. Just wants to is so obsessed with being different that tries all sorts of different tactics. And I think that's true to life. You know, if you see people scramble to maintain their lives, and they'll they'll reach for anything if they're desperate. No, yeah, it's, it, that's that's what's so hilarious is that she becomes this character of of wanting to be you know out there on the edge. I mean, it sort of like speaks to that that place that I think we've come to where we have popularized being different to the level that everybody is 
wants to be so different. And she's talking about things like, well, I, I, I don't, I don't do Instagram. I read books. I'm going, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that <laughs> is different. <laughs> I was like, okay. You know, so that, I mean, I, it, it's, that's hilarious. Um, the, the song on the album that I it, have locked in my head as ear candy though is no homo. And because oh, okay. I know so many people <laughs> that that applies to. Um, and that, I mean, we're not going to play it now, but you need to, if you're listening to the podcast, you need to go listen to it. But it is, it is what you think. It is these guys who are um, probably bisexual and pulling out with other guys, but because they shout out no homo every once in a while, that means they're not gay. So, <laughs> um, so Ian, tell us where, where, where did these hit your brain? How did you um, get inspired um, on these? I would say pretty much uh, everything comes from my worst impulses or my worst fears of, uh, of what uh, someone described to me. Uh, I really like to play with, like, you know, what if, uh, what if I really did every horrible thing I ever thought of doing and had no remorse about it? Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of that is – it comes from – everyone's nervous about people seeing who they are on the inside. I think a lot of us think of ourselves as nasty little goblins on the inside and oh, if your loved ones or your friends ever find out who you really are, it's over because you're so bad on the inside. Um, right. Obviously, that's not true. Uh, you know, everyone is, for the most part, most people are, are good and, and aren't mean, horrible people. Uh, but I, it doesn't mean we don't have these thoughts of like, oh, I wish I could get revenge on this person. I wish I could beat this person. I wish that uh, I could... Uh, do something awful to this person. That's that's definitely uh, the themes that start to enter and not like other girls. Um, and then in No Homo uh, and and another song in the album, Your Dad, I like to really play with uh, the the idea of the sort of the gay lecture is what I call it, and uh, and also right. just like internalized homophobia. Uh, in that you know we're we're accused as, as gay men all the time of like plotting to turn people gay and what an awful thing we want to do to everyone. Uh, and so it's kind of cathartic to every once in a while, even if joking, to say, you know what? Fine. I do. I do want to turn everyone gay. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's sort of like a reversal of power. It's like you're, you're trying to keep me down by saying that I'm trying to do this awful thing to everybody. But if I just, kind of cop to it and, and tell you, yes, I am, all of a sudden you're on the, and you're in fear of me. Right. Yeah. And that was, that's part of what I took away from the genre is it, it reminded me a lot of drag humor where it, mm -hmm. it's exactly what you just said. It's like, where fine. You're going to accuse me of being effeminate. Well, here you go. I'm full on, <laughs> as effeminate as I possibly can, and guess what? I'm gonna be nasty as shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, oh, yeah. and throw it in your face. Yeah. You know, so it. it oh, I, I, And I, yeah, I, I love that that boundary pushing. 
Um, now, the song Your Dad is um, that one I found almost the most fascinating of all because it really is, I mean, not only do you go to that lecherous gay place, but you're, you're really going to kind of a titillating taboo place with um, presumably a guy who is lusting after his boyfriend's father. Is that a fair <laughs> interpretation? Oh, I would say that's definitely a fair interpretation. <laughs> so where did that, did that get inspired by anything or just from your, your uh, very creative imagination? <laughs> okay, well, maybe it's a little bit inspired by real preferences. Uh, but it's also, I mean, it, that is, yeah, definitely like the ultimate uh, uh, fear of, of, a gay of a gay lecture is it could it could turn any I could turn anyone gay even your father I could turn gay uh, and wouldn't that be evil? Uh, but the uh, the other thing that's fun to play with there is just, it's sort of just the grotesque. Honestly, it, it might be a little bit inspired by like grotesque clowning or like you said drag. Uh, which by the way I I thought after that first CP I, I didn't I wasn't super familiar with with tons of drag. Um, I thought that it wasn't influencing my work. I then became extremely familiar with drag and realized that everything I've ever done is, is influenced <laughs> by drag. And if, if I thought that it wasn't, it was because drag has seeped into, uh, into the mainstream a little more. And, uh, yeah, I, I watch, you know, drag race now and I'm like, Oh, they do what I do, but in, uh, but they can dance. <laughs> and, um, I, uh, <laughs> God, they're so talented. Oh, my God. Uh, but uh, the, the, I, the kind of the most grotesque thing you can be as a gay man, at least in the, in the pop culture sense, is um, sort of, is, you know, with a daddy, which I, I don't think is wrong. I think is absolutely fine, but uh, it's kind of taboo. It's kind of uh, a, a naughty thing to talk about. So I love starting from that point of view of somebody who's just obsessed with dads and has absolutely no problem with telling you about it because it's something that kind of, it's very shocking right away. And I, I do like the shock, not just for the sake of shocking, but it is definitely like an immediate shock to the system. And I like starting there because then it allows me to explore all of the ideas that come after that. Um, whereas, you know, I want to have sex with, with someone's dad might be the ultimate biggest punchline uh, for, for some other people. You know, I think that's kind of a real and valid preference. And, uh, and starting from there lets me go, okay, okay, you know that this character wants to have sex with someone's dad. What else might that character think? What else might they do? And how might they take that even farther? You thought this was too far? Um, we can take it farther. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Yes, again. No, it's, it, it, oh, yeah. And yes, and you do, you, you do push that. But, you know, that, that is part of the art, I think, because it's like uh, that's like going back to Van Gogh. I mean, it was like the artists who made a difference are the ones that don't stop at the convenient border. Even if they're pushing to the border, they go over the border. So that, you know, it's like, it's like they don't, they're not satisfied until at least part of the office audience is going, uh, too much for me. It's like, okay, good. Now we're, now we're <laughs> the right place. <laughs> so we hit too oh, much absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's um, I also actually, found there was – go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, I, I was just going to mention, actually, I had a really interesting conversation with my own father, um, this, uh, which I kind of actually hate bringing uh, up my own father after what we just talked about. But <laughs> um, I, I had a really interesting conversation with my father when I finally got to visit him after a couple, uh, you know, years because of the pandemic. And he asked me, you know, just curious if I was ever interesting in sort of going less intense, less less boundary breaking and trying to appeal more to, uh, to, you know, general audiences, you know, maybe had I ever thought of not cussing, not talking about gay sex uh, and, and trying to go the traditional route. Uh, and it was right. really interesting conversation because I had, that had never crossed my mind once. Um, I uh, totally understand that some people want to, you know, develop their craft and become a late night host loved across the country. Um, but I think I have always sort of thought like, uh, if I'm not saying anything new, then there's not really a point for me. Right. That That's actually really cool and admirable that, that you're Thanks. coming to it from that, you know, with, with that integrity. Cause I was actually going to ask you not quite the same question your dad did, but, Similarly, because your music is so fun and pop and, you know, easily you could put in some, you know, more, I don't want to say cliche, but, you know, mainstream, you know, you know, oh, you know, I, I have a crush on you kind of lyrics, you know, um, and you, you have the hooks in your music that, you know, would then be hugely accessible to you know, bubblegum audiences. And um, so you just answered the question before I asked it. But. <laughs> well, okay, I will but say, I, though, I guess my uh, point... If, if I ever become, my like, point super about it was, famous... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, my point, my point was is that some of that question comes from a recognition of your talent and not just a, ooh, is that too much, is that too much, but because you package the humorous part and the boundary pushing part in a package that is so accessible itself that whether you wanted to capitalize on that part of your talent is where I'm coming from for it. So anyway, go ahead what, uh, what you were saying. Sorry. Oh, well, first of all, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's also just because I've always wanted to, um, I, I've loved music and comedy my entire life, but uh, but I I couldn't really think of doing it without comedy. I just I love it so much. I love making people laugh. Sometimes shocking people. Sometimes it's a huge part of it for me. But I I will you know I have to cop to this. If I were to become extremely famous, every resource at my disposal, you definitely catch me releasing an off-season bubblegum pop EP. Like, if, if I would still be doing I wouldn't stop doing comedy, uh, and I wouldn't stop doing this genre, but I would also throw out a, like, let's see, let's see how it goes if I just straight up wrote pop music and uh, and, and it had no jokes in it. I wonder how it would go. Well, yeah, it, and that that isn't a bad, bad concept, because uh, one of the artists that came to mind um, as I was listening to your music, 
was I keep thinking of, of a song on, I think it was on the last Kesha album, where um, she's basically oh. a stalker, you know, and she's, she's mm-hmm. talking about how much she loves this guy, and she really, really loves him, and she really, really loves him, and she has never killed anybody before, but she wouldn't be above, you know, it's like you're listening to her song kind of going, ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, oh, and then she, she she couples that with then you know prayer with with this deep you know bleeding heart you know experience that she's had of of being oppressed and you know and reaching out to the person who oppressed her you know and so it's all packaged in this one kind of full thing. So anyway, it, it just I I am not trying to advocate on on a direction for your career. I'm just. It's like you obviously have talent in multi-directions, and um, it's impressive. Thank you. And, yeah, I mean, I hope if people do a couple of listens to the CP, maybe they'll find a few kernels of real truth or emotion in there among all of the goofy, crazy, shocking stuff. Uh, I like to throw a tiny bit of that in. But also, yeah, uh, shout-out to Sessma for, I think, once an album she throws on what I would just call a comedy song, uh, about I don't remember the name of it, but also on her first album, uh, she had a song called Dinosaur, all about uh, a right. sort of lecherous uh, older man trying to have sex with her. That's really, really funny. Yeah, I mean, she goes there all the time, and she had one about um, Godzilla. You know, she was dating Godzilla. And, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, it's like totally t- tongue in cheek. Uh, uh, the the thing that. Um, I found with, with your work is you turn the tables on some listening sensibilities. In other words, it's like the, you're almost turning the table up on things that have gotten a little cliche of the feel good, you know, anthem Mm -hmm. type thing of like, you're okay, you're okay, you know, type thing. And where it's like you make people really think about it like the You Can't Keep Me Down track on the mm-hmm. EP starts out very, like, kumbaya, come together. <laughs> and then you turn the tables and it's like going, wait a minute. <laughs> Can you speak oh, yeah. to that a little bit? You should be proud to be you themes and taking it way too far, saying you can do anything wrong or bad and still be proud of yourself, and that's valid, even when it's definitely not. Yeah. So, Ian, I want to back up a little bit and take us. What got you to the Brooklyn comedy scene? And you know, obviously, your music—you you didn't just wake up doing that one day. How did you get there? How did you hone that talent? Uh, well, I was always doing uh, music throughout my childhood. Have to, uh, you know, thank my parents for that one. They threw me into piano lessons and guitar lessons. Uh, even though, you know, I wouldn't practice as much as I was supposed to. Um, I, I still went, I would do guitar lessons for like nine years. I can't really play the guitar that well. Um, but it was, uh, there was always something musical happening. Um, I think my parents aren't extremely musical themselves, but they really appreciate music, and they, they wanted that for me, which was really wonderful. Um, that got me into musical theater, which got me into comedy. And uh, I, as soon as, as soon as some, I, I was all, I mean, 
couple being, uh, you know, comedian minded with being a gay kid, uh, whether you know it or not. And uh, that's going to be, that's going to be a bit of an eccentric, big personality kid. So I was, uh, I was doing things for wild stuff for attention all the time uh, before I found theater acting or comedy. But then I found theater and acting and comedy and, uh, it was all of a sudden a place where everyone wanted this from me, and it was so wonderful. It was almost sort of like a first coming out to find those things. Like it actually took me a really long time to come out, but and for you know just for people to say we love who you are and what you are, and do more of it, and please keep going, was really amazing. Uh, and then I went to acting school in New York City. Uh, I wanted to go to, uh, you know, a really good acting school, and I felt like that place was L.A. or New York, and uh, I was a little, a rude little rebellious teen, and I wanted to, I, I grew up in L.A., and, you know, uh, those schools were too close to my parents, so I said, I want to go on an adventure, and I want to go to New York City, so that's what brought me there. Uh, and then that's where I found the Annoyance New York, which is where I met pretty much everyone that I collaborate with now. Um, and it was just so wonderful. Some of the best times of my life. Um, yeah. But I, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I love that, that, that arc from L.A. to New York. Is, I, I mean, I, <laughs> New York is just such a special creative place. And I don't know why L.A. doesn't feel that way. Um, um, yeah, you know, there's obviously a lot of creativity in LA, and I love LA's heart and um, everything else. But there is something about the intimacy of New York and the community there that just really feels—I I don't know if it feels grittier and more raw—and you know, that's awesome. Absolutely, and when I like I, nowadays, I think back to the fact that. I, I toured New York with my parents and then immediately was so confident. I was like, I have to be here. I want to go here. Uh, please, can I, can I go to New York? Uh, and I am kind of astounded because I don't think I've been that um, uh, sure of anything ever since. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what it was, but it was so romantic and perfect in my mind. And I don't think I was, like, over-romanticizing it. It just sort of clicked, and I knew I really wanted to be there, which is wild. No, that's, that's awesome. So I've got a couple of bizarre questions for you. Uh, one yeah. is, uh, have, you con- uh, have you thought of turning any of the tracks into, like, a extended mix disco-y kind of thing, um, you know, and trying to get them into clubs? That would be incredible. Um, there is one song on the last EP called I Don't Think This Is the Club, parentheses for that first bit. Um, that would be an incredible candidate and, and very fun and ironic to play. Um, I had not thought of that until you just said it, and now I'm kind of obsessed with the idea. So you might have just derailed me <laughs> from everything I'm supposed to do. Yeah, well, because I would love to to see people dancing to No Homo in a club. I just that to me would be <laughs> like like pretty pretty awesome. Um, the the other thing I, I would love to do that. Is talk to you about yeah about your creative process be, during the pandemic because your first EP mm-hmm. you got to try out sort of a la uh, Joan Rivers used to try out all her material in in clubs before she solidified it. <clears throat> 
And I understand you got to do that with the nasty EP, but on this mm-hmm. one you didn't. So what was that? Like? And what was? How did you pivot? It was. I mean, it was different. It was wild. It was terrifying. Um, I, I had nothing to do but write songs now that the pandemic was was here. But I had nowhere to show them other than a couple of online comedy shows, which you can't really get the audience's reaction over an online comedy show. Uh, and so I had to just write them all and be really, really self-assured um, that uh, in myself I had, honestly, I'm pretty in- insecure. And I always will, after doing a, a new song acoustic at an open mic, you know, ask every friend who was there, was that good? No, but really, don't lie to me. Was it actually good? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and so I had to like for the first time kind of just believe in myself uh, and and go with what I really thought was good. Uh, but of course, I did not do it alone. Uh, I have a wonderful collaborator named uh, Dave Bowers, who is a wonderful uh, musician and producer. And after I write the songs acoustic, he and I uh, work on turning them into the fully fleshed out songs that you hear now uh and then even after that we get a little help from our producer friend uh kyle joseph who made it sound even better which was amazing but uh that was it was very wonderful i have a feeling i'm going to look back on my time with dave during the pandemic really really fondly because we songs got written and i said dave we have three months before we have to, you know, record the vocals for real with Kyle and package these up. And we, you know, we agreed to pod strictly together. And then we spent like five days a week uh, for three months together in his little bedroom with his little setup, um, just sort of pounding these out. And it was, I mean, yeah, the longer they go through the process, uh, without any audience feedback, the scarier it gets. So, you know, I'm so yeah. sure of that this one song is funny, but then after hearing it a hundred times in the studio, do I really think it's funny? <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of a fun summer campy process. At sometimes it was sometimes super stressful, but ultimately it was uh, a test of confidence in myself, which was uh, w- was particularly tough for me. But I'm really really happy with how it came out. No, yeah, and you should be, yeah. And I totally relate to that. I mean, uh, you can ask Brody who's on the line because I write for him for the LA Blade a lot of times. And mm-hmm. as soon as I turn an article into him, the next thing, in the next five minutes, I'm calling him. <laughs> and I was like, well, how was it? Was it good? Did you like it? Was it good? Was it a good article? Did you like my writing? What would you think? It's like, sort of like, <laughs> sort of like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> it's like, I'm printing it, aren't I? <laughs> Oh, constantly. I'm constantly doing this to friends, but I sort of have to rotate between friends to, you know, give each one a break. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. That's smart. So, oh, I mean, yeah. I, wanted, oh, I also yeah. want to go back to something that you made reference to that, um, that, I've, that I observed in um, a lot of the pieces, that um, you, you do hone in on, uh, and kind of on a deep level, um, the hypocrisy of a lot of people's characters and how, you know, people say one thing and they're not even aware of their hypocrisy. I mean, and 
to me, we have been deluged with that feature um, in our society more so in the last two years than I ever remember. I mean, it's always mm-hmm. been there. I mean, forever, but but it seems to go. I've gone on hyperdrive. Um, do you want to talk to that and why? How did that inspire you? Absolutely. I mean, I I completely agree with you. I think. Uh, I mean, the previous administration was uh, obviously sort of a huge moment for um, confident hypocrisy uh, from a lot of people that were now sort of thrust into the spotlight with these horrible, horrible beliefs saying things they clearly didn't believe for political gain. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was kind of horrible. It was like a really bad, I mean, it was a really tough time to be a member of, of the queer community. It was a really, but it was also a really bad time to, to be anyone who believed in science or believed in like agreeing on what the truth of a situation is. It was just so stressful and horrible to, especially, I mean, I'm not that young, but I'll, I'll still allow myself to say I'm a, I'm a young-ish adult. And uh, in that time right. coming up, you know, it, what a snapback from um, high school and like, oh, this is the truth, this is the science, this is the math, to not, no one can agree on anything, even if you can prove it. Uh, and at the same time, I, there, there were kind of some funny moments within that where the, um, you know, the least powerful guys were, were dunked on and, and we had a laugh at their expense. And it was so cathartic to just be like, okay, they don't, they don't win 100% of the time. Sometimes we can beat them with facts. Sometimes we can be sure we're on the right side of things and it, it's centering. It's like I can finally breathe again when I say that. And I think that I just sort of matured and became an adult and realized that there are always going to be these confidently hypocritical people in our society shoving these things in our faces. And that if you can show that they are, uh, are, are wicked underneath it all and, and point out why they're wrong and, and what's insane about it, it can be extremely, extremely funny. Um, and, Yet that behavior also extends kind of to everybody. I mean, we all say right. things that we don't believe. Um, we all, I mean, uh, I think anyone who's ever worked a day job <laughs> can point to something they've worked with that's, uh, that's difficult and they have to work around. Um, yeah, I, I started, uh, a, a child uh, sees things in black and white and they're true and false. And I think I became really familiar with the concept of, of the gray area and where you can find the humor in a, in a, 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 a oh, what's the word, a, a cognitive dissonance uh, and how it can be extremely right. funny. Yeah. No, I, actually, I love what you just said because I think that, that, is, that is a really true characterization of, of what you put out. I mean, because it is, it is kind of pointing to that hypocrisy under uh, at people that we might not ordinarily look at for it, like <clears throat> like um, uh, the song "Not Like Other Girls." It's like you're the character there is someone where we would c- 
kind of go, yay, be your authentic, unique self, be your, and then we're listening to her and kind of going, okay, but why don't, you're not, that's not unique. What, what are you doing? It's like, and it, 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 I mean, and I think that kind of examination is, is great. I mean, it, it, it makes us think and not just take everything on a, on a one note kind of basis. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, I mean, it's kind of treacherous territory these days to even do comedy. Um, everything is under a microscope and, you know, cancer, cancel culture and all that. Um, what do you think of that and what are your either concerns or, or answer to people who are kind of taking that fine tooth comb to comedians? Well, I don't really think that cancel culture has gone too far or, or necessarily that there even is cancel culture. Um, I, and, and that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, a, a large number of, of these cases can, uh, can be corrected from the term cancel culture to uh, the consequences of people's actions and the free market. Um, it's not, right. it's not cancel culture to say, I don't like what that person said, so I'm not going to buy what they're selling. That, that, that's, that's, that's America. That's free. They exercise their free speech and you're exercising yours by saying you don't like what they said. That's totally fine. Um, and the other, the, I don't want to specifically call anyone out necessarily, but the other, um, uh, uh, you can, <laughs> we're, we're just among <laughs> friends here. <laughs> well, you know, there was a certain uh, walkout at Netflix recently, but those themes right. uh, come up uh, all the time. Uh, with, with comedians, usually older comedians, which is, um, I, I have always followed a principle in comedy, and this was, uh, this, this was taught to me as, you know, a, a way to keep yourself out of trouble, but it's also so true. I am a totally fine with people telling jokes about groups that they don't belong to. I think that's okay. I, I don't, have a, a huge problem with that in and of itself. Um, I think uh, telling a joke about a group you don't belong to that is possibly mean or, or cruel <laughs> if that group is, uh, is, you know, discriminated against on the regular, not funny because we, we already see that. That's not unexpected. That's just sort of joining bullies in, in punching down. Um, but also uh, on a much uh, less, I mean, I think this is less critical. I think this is just talking about comedy theory. Um, I think that your, you know, someone's joke about a trans person when the comedian isn't trans is just going to be less specific and less based in, uh, in personal experience that it's just not going to be the funniest version of the joke. So I don't fully right. see the point. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't do it. If, if you want to try doing it, Go for it, but I mean, uh, it, 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 it's. I mean, black people are going to tell way funnier jokes about black people than white people are going to, because they are black people. They understand their lived experience, uh, and they have the insight on the community, and they can bring that unique point of view to audiences of all races. So, my answer is. First of all, I think uh, all the hubbub about cancel culture is a little overblown. But secondly, I just, I, it can definitely get you into trouble to talk about other groups. I don't think that 
is that worth it just because I don't think you're going to be the funniest, best person to tell those jokes. That's my opinion. Right. No, those are, those are great points. So, um, Ian, we are, we're quickly running out of time, so I want to get the housekeeping part of this in uh, so people know what to do. How do they find Not Like Other Girls? How do they download it? Um, and where can they find out more about you? Uh, well, you should definitely go find me on Spotify or wherever you stream or buy music. It's available everywhere. Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at Mr. Ian Lockwood. And I would highly recommend that people go to YouTube and search for me. You can search Ian Lockwood. You can search Ian Lockwood, not like other girls. You'll definitely find me because along with uh, three of the songs, that what I would call the singles, I suppose, from this EP, really, really wonderful videos that I'm really excited to share with people. Uh, and they, they're uh, directed by a good friend of mine, uh, David Olinoff, with help uh, with, from some really talented, amazing other people, um, Susie Clan, Sam Weinstein, uh, a huge crew of really amazing people. Uh, they are... They came out. So I, I feel comfortable, uh, you know, uh, uh, blasting, blasting the seven, saying they're so good because it was such a group effort. I I provided the songs and the <laughs> and the face, but other people made it so. They they look so so good. I'm so excited to share them with people. Um, uh, yeah, very, very humble, <laughs> very humble. But uh, I think that they are like really incredible, and I think that people should check them out. Excellent. Yes, and I do too. So check them out. Um, Ian, I want to thank you so much for, for being part of this. I want to thank you for your work. Um, really fun, really infectious. Um, uh, you've got to check it out and have a listen. And as a dad myself, I, I have to pay homage to <laughs> your song, Your Dad, for making us uh, maybe a taboo sex symbol, but sex symbols nonetheless. So that is really cool. Um, I um, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, really been a pleasure um, having you on. Uh, I want to thank Brody for being part of this and putting stuff together and for his work on the L.A. Blade, which is a really, really great publication. Check that out online as well. It is one of the best um, LGBTQ publications out there, so make sure that's on your radar. And tell your friends about us. Um, please have them subscribe. We will be back again next week with an outstanding, fantastic show. I have no idea what it will be, but I can guarantee you that those <laughs> adjectives will apply. So for all of us here at Rated LGBT Radio, we will see you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. Radio.